We must no longer be children, tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning, good morning. So we've made it all the way through to week three, right? So you've survived three weeks on evangelism. Well, very nearly. Uh, all throughout the last kind of month of November, we've been talking about what it means to become fishers of people. How do we answer that first call of Christ? How do we recognize that evangelism, this call to tell the story, is part of our call to discipleship. And we've been walking through these three questions, right? Why do people need Jesus Christ? Why do they need the church? And today, why do people need Chapelwood United Methodist Church? I guess I should say of Lake Jackson, lest we get a little bit confused with the other one. Why do people need Chapelwood United Methodist church. Now I have to say, I think there's a little bit of a, a discursus I have to take. I think you have to work backwards through this one. Um, if people need Chapelwood, then it's because they also need a United Methodist Church. Um, the United Methodist Church, you may or may not know this, has been declining almost since the day it was born. Um, we became the United Methodist Church um, in 1968, yes, Peter's checking my uh, Methodist history for me. 1968, um, by the mid-70s, our numbers were already in decline. At first, it was a slow trickle. Lately, it's been a little larger flood. Um, and this trend mirrors what most mainline Protestant denominations are going through. And I don't understand it. Not even a little bit. Because if we listen to the things that unchurched folk say they want, particularly millennial, these kind of 20, 30, early 40 people say they want, I have no idea why the United Methodist Church would be in decline. We talked last week about the three ways that unchurched people describe churched folk. They say three things about them. The first two are that they're judgmental and hypocritical. If that's the critique that unchurched people have about your average church, I don't understand why the United Methodist Church is in decline. Because you see, at our very core, when we are our wonderful Wesleyan selves, we should be anything but those two things. When you ask Methodists what makes you a Methodist, you're really hoping for two things to pop up. First one is grace, and the second one is personal piety and social holiness go hand in hand. So if unchurched folk get upset because people are judgmental, then shouldn't a church that's all about grace 
be an open and welcoming place for them? Shouldn't we be ready to share a message that says, look, I know you've made some mistakes, and we can talk about the damage that's done to your life or to other people's lives, but, but do you know that even before you did that, God still loved you? There was still grace? That sounds like a message timely for today. And it's certainly who we are. We talk about provenient grace. That's the big special Wesleyan word we put on it. But it's core to what we are. It's what makes us different than Willow over here or the Lutheran church down there. We talk about provenient grace that comes before anything else. And if people are worried about a church that sometimes talks about one thing and does something else, shouldn't they want to come to a place that says what happens in your prayer life ought to get worked out in the rest of your life. Right? This is kind of what started the whole Methodist piece for John Wesley. They thought that you ought to study the scripture, that you ought to take communion together, and then they got together as a group and they walked to the local prison and they took care of the people no one else would because that's what they heard about in their Bible study and experienced in their prayer life. That certainly sounds like the kind of church unchurched folk might be looking for. I don't think the United Methodist Church is in decline because we don't have something that people need. I think we're in decline because we're not very good at talking about it. And I don't just mean us in this room, and I don't just mean the clergy, and I don't just mean individual lady. As a church... We have not been very good at saying, this is what it means to be United Methodist. This is what you're getting when you walk through the door. In fact, if you started flipping through um, places like the New York Times or the Washington Post, the stories that you saw about the United Methodist Church would probably not be stories about grace or about how personal piety and social holiness work together. I think we have to work on that. Because the world does need the United Methodist Church. Even more than that, I think the world, at least in our little vicinity, needs this United Methodist Church. If you've been tracking along through our three weeks, we've kind of been having a conversation about two different narratives. There are two ways that people kind of think the world can get better. We started all the way back in John Wesley's time tracking these Enlightenment humanists, right, that, that said, we can make the world better. And we saw how that has come forward all the way through the 1950s, the 1970s, and you know what, it's kind of still alive and well. Um, if you are a child of the 90s, um, you might remember certain t-shirts. So you might remember these t-shirts. Um, they, they had a little, yes, they had this little guy on them. They say, life is good. I might be showing my youth here, sorry. Um, yeah, so when I was in high school and college, these were everywhere. Apparently, they're still everywhere because um, I went kind of looking for this guy. He appears doing lots of really fun things on t-shirts. He likes to go rock climbing, he likes to go skiing, he likes to go off-roading in his Jeep. Um, he has a girlfriend. He has a very full life, actually, Jake and Rocket. 
Um, and his whole message is, life is good. I went and found uh, a recent Fox Business News interview with one of the, the two founders of this Life is Good company. It is really, at its core, a t-shirt company. That's their business, that's what they do. They make t-shirts, um, now they make lots of other things like mugs and frisbees and hacky sacks and backpacks and if you can stick this guy on it, they have and they've sold it and they've made quite a lot of money doing it. And to their credit, they have given away quite a lot of money because of it. But he was talking about the founding of this company. He and his brother had been kind of hawking t-shirts fair to fair for a while, and it hadn't been working very well. And they got really kind of depressed and discouraged. And so they were sitting in their apartment. Apartment here is a loose term. We're talking about 450 square feet with a kitchen and two guys living in it. <laughs> um, they're sitting in their apartment one day, and they look up on the wall to this drawing that one of them had done when they were nine years old. And they said, you know what? Life is good. We will be optimistic about this. We will conquer the world. And they stuck this guy on a t-shirt and they took him to the fair and in two hours they had sold over a hundred of those t-shirts. And so this became their motto. Life is good. In fact, if you can pull out, so go to the second graphic. Um, this is actually what the full-size graphic of this particular one looks like. And I know that print can be really small. So it says around the outside, optimism can take you anywhere. Do what you like, like what you do. Nothing wrong with that, right? And there is, at a certain level, Nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong with hope. There is nothing wrong with following passion. The problem is this really is humanism at its best. It says optimism for optimism's sake. Just believing it's all going to turn out okay will make it turn out okay. So do what makes you feel good and you'll feel good about what you do. It sits pretty well when you want to make money. It probably sits pretty well when you're skiing or off-roading or camping, all of those things that can make life feel really good. But I worry that when life is not so good, this is just too shallow to keep us going. See, that's really the difference in these two narratives. Both say, in the end, it's all going to turn out fine. Both say you should follow your heart. Both say that at its core, life is good. But one coasts right on the surface of that, and the narrative that the church has to tell is so much deeper because it tells you why. That's really what Paul is talking about in Ephesians today. Paul is talking to a people who have had their fair share of bumps and bruises and trying just to encourage them. To say, I know that sometimes you fight. 
I know that the Romans aren't so keen on us at the moment, but life is good, and it's going to get better. But notice that Paul starts grounding it in something, right? Life isn't good because it's good. Life is good because you are together and bonded by Christ. You don't do just what you want to do because Paul will say elsewhere that what I want to do is not what I really want to do, right? That whole bit. He says, you do what makes your brother or sister feel good. You build yourself up into a community. Paul comes to these people and he says, look, when it it starts to get rough, the way you keep up that hope is to have strong relationships with one another that build you up in Christ. Paul starts grounding that in something that is so much more real than Jake and Rocket. I think Chapelwood is the kind of community that wants to build those relationships. And I don't think that in the abstract. I think it because you told it to me. Because I stood in that room right there for way too many hours with a group of 13 people. And one of the phrases that came out of that room was that we want to be the kind of community that fosters strong, upbuilding relationships, right? It's part of our values when we talk about caring connections, celebrating Christian growth. We define those connections as those that are deep enough to create upbuilding relationships. That word is stolen right out of Ephesians. I know that you want to be the kind of place that is grounded with Christ because you celebrate Christian growth, right? We, we sat and we talked for so long about how we wanted to be a place that didn't stop at baptism, but, but took you into that life beyond. We wanted to be the kind of place that helped you take next steps and next steps and next steps, right? Sometimes we hear that the goal of the Christian life is to start a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If that were true, then we could cut the gospel at Matthew 28, right? Go baptize in my name, making disciples in the name of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. That would be it. That would be the high point. And yet we know that there is so much more because once you come out of the water of baptism, you are a new creation on a new journey, and you can't stay where you are. I love that Chapelwood is the kind of place that wants to walk with you through all the rest of that journey, that wants to make sure that we keep going on and on and on. And I love that Chapelwood is the kind of place that isn't content simply for life to be good. We're not interested in life being good. We're interested in the abundant life that Christ offers. This is why we talk so often about moving beyond. We talk about caring beyond ourselves, 
right, about looking out at a community around us and, and finding ways to feed those who are hungry, to sit with those who are in grief. We talk about building wheelchair ramps and going all the way to Sager Brown to make sure the whole world has needs met because we care beyond ourselves. We talk about praying beyond our wants. And so every Sunday, there is a group that gathers in here and goes through every prayer request. There is a list this long that comes to the staff on Tuesday morning. And Margaret Johnson, who I'm just going to call out by name, monitors the longest prayer email chain I've ever seen in my entire life. And not just to say, hey, we should pray for these people, but to keep up with them, to become a part of their story, to give the updates good and bad, because we pray beyond just what we want in our life. We worship beyond trends. We will hear Bob Marley, we will hear Mozart, we will hear the handbells and the electric guitar, and one day we'll get Andrew back up here to play a little more Little Wing. But it's more than just that when we say we worship beyond trends. We recognize that worship is about God and about our neighbor. And so we're not content just to build silos of the things that we're comfortable with. It doesn't matter if I don't like this song or that candle. I recognize that maybe somebody else needs that today. We talk about growing beyond our fear. (laughs) Y'all, to stake out that claim in this day and age, I have never heard something more prophetic. We live in a culture that practically runs on fear. I can flip to any TV channel, any news report, any newspaper, and find somebody who is trying to use fear to make you do something, to to stand in a community that says, we have a hope stronger than that. We will study, we will learn, we will walk with God so that fear cannot touch us. The world needs to hear that kind of message. There are two more in that list, right? Some of you are tracking along with me. We connect beyond our family, and we witness beyond bumper stickers. We really do believe that the world needs this Place, that we are ready to connect beyond those that we love already, beyond those who have blood kinship, beyond those who look like us, sound like us, eat like us, go to our schools or our golf club. We are willing to step out and say, you can be part of this family, part of this abundant life. And because of all of that, our witness is so much more than a slogan that fits on the back of your car. 
I know you've driven around town and you've probably seen lots of people with fish on the car or stickers that say, Jesus loves you. I'm not knocking that. There's nothing wrong with actual bumper stickers. I just want to make sure that when we stick a bumper sticker on our car about Jesus, it's not the same as sticking Jake and Rocket on our car. That we know how much deeper the narrative is in those words. And I love that Chapelwood is the kind of community that wants to share that whole hope with the people around. This is who you have told me you are and you want to be. And I think it is a beautiful and amazing thing. I also think it is every reason why Lake Jackson, Texas needs a place called Chapelwood United Methodist Church. When we started that process, one of the questions we would ask so often is if this church closed its doors today, would anyone notice and why? I think they would. I hope that they would notice quickly. That's the challenge in evangelism for this congregation. We have become a place that is very much about caring for others, about sharing with others. But I think it would take some time if we shut our doors for them to realize where that was coming from. This is our next step as a people to not just share the food, but say, we do this because of the hope we have in Christ. To not just care for those that we work with and those we live near, but to say, we do it because we have a hope in Christ. To not just welcome the stranger into our midst, but to do it because we say, we have a hope in Christ, and we think you need it too. We are a people who continue to grow, to celebrate the new milestones, and this is the challenge that the CATCH team has laid before us in the coming weeks. To take this narrative, this story, this wonderful place that we call Chapelwood United Methodist Church and to remind people that they need us, that they need Christ, and that we have that to share. You may have noticed in your bulletin that there's a little extra piece. I want you to hang on to that. We're going to talk about it at invitation today, about specific ways that you can step out, that you can help share this hope we have in Christ. But you'll also remember that you've had some homework over the last two weeks, right? Anybody remember the homework? Hands? Ooh, I don't have you so much this morning. Yes, all right. So we're going to take five minutes. We want you to find someone who did the homework, right? So it may be more than two people talking together. Find someone who found someone without a church home and had a conversation. And I want you to hear about their experience of that. I want you to listen to what someone who doesn't have a church home has to say 
about what they think they need. And as you listen, I want you to wonder, what could Chapelwood United Methodist Church offer to them? So five minutes, find someone who has spoken with someone about why they don't go to church. Ready? Go. We are starting this campaign to invite people toward Christmas Eve. Um, there is few better times in the year, maybe only Easter is better, to hear the good news of Christ. And so, over the next month, we've got a solid month between now and Christmas, uh, begin praying about who you would like to invite. Begin those conversations about how your hope is grounded in Christ. And you may have to offer more than once. So plan ahead towards Christmas Eve, 4, 7, and 11. There are also going to be several opportunities um, for you to serve short-term on some things that make visitors feel welcome here. So if you are interested in helping to deliver mugs to those who have visited with us, to call people who may have come and help follow up with how their experience was, to pray about those that we might invite, or to serve at our guest table. Um, you'll have an opportunity to sign up for those things, or you can talk to myself or Wendy Smades uh, if you just need to do it right now. Um, and with that, we're going to close our worship with We've a Story to Tell to the Nations. David. Find a hand of your neighbor. Go out now into the world with a story to tell to the nations, to the neighbors, to the friends and family of the hope we have grounded in Christ and of this wonderful family that wants to help them to take their next steps in that relationship. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.